0: The Conversation Collective You're listening to The Conversation Collective The podcast shifting
1: perspectives on young women's well-being Proudly created by young women and brought to you by the Shift Foundation
2: Kia everyone, welcome to the very first episode of The Conversation Collective My name is Tiki and it's my privilege to be hosting this series for Shift alongside some very inspiring young women There are some great episodes and interviews coming up for you to listen to We just can't wait to share what we've been working on. So make sure you don't miss out on any episodes and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on our website, shiftnz.org forward slash podcast, where you'll find a full transcript for each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the underscore conversation underscore collective for behind the scenes sneak peeks and insights from all of the Conversation Collective team. If you want to hear a bit more about the ideas behind this podcast, you can go back and listen to our teaser trailer that we released last week. Okay, let's get shifty. I want to introduce you guys to the real host of today's podcast. This young woman is a vocal advocate for inclusivity and education. At 19 years old, she's incredibly clear-minded and has a strong vision of equality. And it seems to me that she will excel at anything she sets her mind to. Jess, you've been an amazing part of the Conversation Collective team, and I've loved getting to know you while we work on this project together. Welcome to your very own podcast episode.
3: Yeah, yay. To get started.
2: <laughs> yeah it's so awesome to be finally recording this, hey?
3: Yeah, totally. It's been a long time in the works. <laughs>
2: so Jess, your hometown is Waikanae. Um, but at the moment, you're actually living in Palmerston North. Can you tell us what you're getting up to in Palmy at the moment?
3: Yeah, so I'm living in Palmerston North. I'm in my second year of university at Massey, and I'm studying a Bachelor of Social Work.
2: What was it that that kind of got you into studying social work? How did you get to this point?
3: Um, well, funny you should ask. I worked at a youth uh, one-stop shop in Kapiti in my last year of high school. And at that stage, I was like set in my mind that I was going to go to university and do teaching. And then I had a really eye-opening experience at this um, this Kapiti Youth Support. And uh, one of the social workers there, who is actually our first guest on the podcast today, she um, talked to me a little bit more about social work and yeah i mean she's really interested in it and was like why not just go ahead and do something different and help people
0: and yeah
2: and we actually we get to talk to laura today about her own journey and how she came to be involved in social work and how she came to be involved with capital youth support so that's a really interesting part of the conversation that we're going to have um Jess, you knew pretty much straight away that you wanted to host an episode about education. It's clearly something that you're really, really passionate about and about inclusivity and access to education in particular. Um, This topic's really close to your heart. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and why you're so interested in it?
3: Yeah, so um, when we were planning the podcast and looking at different ideas and um, parts of society where young women might not have equal access or might be struggling in um, for various different reasons. I was like education. It just came to my mind and I think I also did a university paper last year on education and it was so eye-opening. It was something like completely different and i was kind of taken aback by like everything I didn't really think about in the education system when I was in it myself in like my younger years of primary school and high school. Mm. and um for me personally I have a form of dwarfism and um that definitely limits a lot of my access in some ways obviously I really try and um not let it stop me in any way but it does sometimes and I thought that it was a really important topic to talk about about how um not just young women but disabled young women and like anyone anywhere needs that inclusive access to education and so it was a topic that I would really wanted to talk to people about and see what we could think of. Mm.
2: It almost seems to me as though because you've had an experience that is slightly outside of, let's say, the mainstream experience of education, it's drawn your attention to the fact that, you know, standardised, standardised education doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily one size fits all. Yeah. And there are certain people who are maybe not, benefiting as much as they could be from our education system so it's as though your experience has given you more of an overview um and more of an understanding of how people might be missing out
3: yeah it definitely has and i think that it's going to be really interesting um talking to our two guests today and seeing what our listeners think about the topics they brought up because we cover such a broad range of topics yeah
2: We've got our first episode today with not one but two interviews, um, which is really exciting and they are quite different conversations. So tell us a little bit more about Laura before we jump into the interview with her.
3: Yeah, so Laura is a social worker um, she used to work at Capital Youth Support, which is how I first met her. And she's now working for the Office of the Children's Commissioner in Wellington Um, she's really passionate about what she does, um, and especially about young people and helping them, um, get the most out of their life, not just in education, um, but in any aspect of life and making sure that they have their voices heard in society and are being listened to. And yeah, she's just really awesome person and it was great chatting to her about education.
2: Yeah. I just, she was such a joy to speak to. I feel like so much of our energy comes through in the conversation. We had such a, we had a good laugh doing this interview, didn't we? Sure. All right, Jess, take it away.
0: The Conversation Collective.
3: Today with us, we have Laura Gingell, and she is one of my friends. And also I've known her through her past roles as a social worker in company. And now she's in a new role at the Office for the Children's Commissioner. And um yeah, we're really lucky to have her with us today to discuss education and young women's wellbeing so thank you for being here.: Thanks, Jess. I'm pleased to be here um, So Laura, I just want to start off by asking like as a young woman, um, what was your educational journey like that you that lead you to the roles that you've had or like where you are today? Mm.
1: Um, so my educational journey is I guess a long and convoluted one, but um I suppose when I was at school, I didn't take school particularly seriously. Um, and so that led to me doing a little bit of catch up when I was in year 13 um, because I wanted to go to university um, or rather, I think school made it seem like university is like the one option you have when you option. reach yeah. <laughs> year 13. Um, but that's okay. I, so I originally went to university to study um, communications and journalism which is um, quite different from what I'm doing now, I suppose. Um, Basically, as soon as I started that degree, I was like, oh, I hate
2: this. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So that was a shame, but I persisted um, with some sort of glimmer of hope that maybe it would all work out. Um, But by the end of the degree, I was like, there's no way I want to do this this mahi, so... (laughs) Um, I was lucky enough to land a a government job at the Ministry of Education, so I was just doing some sort of, um, like I guess, government writing for them, which was fine, Um, and then I realised that perhaps policy and social policy in particular was where my interest lay, Um, and so I pursued a social policy postgraduate, Um, and then part way through that um I was like oh do I really like this or
3: do I not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um
1: I ended up with another government writing job at Housing New Zealand um which I did really enjoy but I ended up just getting sick of being on the other side of it and I wanted to do that work with people I wanted to do frontline work and that's when I realized that social work was probably where I should have been from the beginning (laughs) Um, so yeah I guess long story short to getting to where I wanted to be I ended up doing my master's in social work um, a few years ago and that yeah led me to my social work job um, with Cuff Youth support which I loved with all of my heart I didn't mean to leave that job Um, this opportunity at the office of the children's commissioner came up um, and I just sort of thought oh maybe I'll go apply and see if I can get an interview so I can find out what I might need to do for the future when I get this job and I'm like 40. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then they offered me the role, which was really surprising, but I feel super privileged to have this role.
3: Totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like, when you were talking about all that, did you have anything um, against, not necessarily against you, but with being a woman in any of your workplaces or, like, with the (laughs) education side of Mm. things? I think...
1: That's a really interesting question. I think I haven't experienced anything quite sort of overt, and especially in the kind of social services roles. Yeah. Basically, everyone's a woman, which is an issue in itself sometimes.
2: Mm, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 Like the opposite. Yeah,
1: yeah. like we need men. <laughs> um, but there was a particular time when I was at the Ministry of Education and I went to a meeting with my manager with some other, I don't know, important people, and um, this man said... Um, to my manager, oh, it isn't appropriate for you to have brought your PA to this meeting? Oh, no. Assuming that I was his assistant, and I just sort of thought, oh, like, you know, that's fine. Like, firstly, I'd be a horrendous PA. I'm so, <laughs> <like> a, <laughs> I, like, I'd be so bad at it. And I don't know, just making that assumption, I just knew it was because I was a young woman. I just knew it was. Yeah, totally. Of, yeah. But I think that's the only kind of time when I've thought, oh. God, this was quite a hard kind of world to be a young woman in, but, yeah, I don't know, obviously it's different in the social services. It's a much comfier place.
3: Yeah, exactly, and, like, the degrees you did are very yeah. ma- majority of females. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. So in your role now, working with the Children's Commissioner, is education for children, especially, like, young women, a big part of your role or anything you guys are focusing on?
1: Yeah, so... Um, The Children's Commissioner sets priorities um, and education is one of his current priorities. He's got four priorities and education is one of them. Um, And that's sort of more around access to education for everyone in Aotearoa, so not necessarily just women but young women, but obviously they're a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and so we do quite a lot of work um, searching out and listening and hearing young women's voices as part of that work, and that kind of informs... How we advocate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you tell us a bit more about um, education being one of these four kind of priorities? Mm. Can you tell us a bit more about the work that's going on with that at the moment or about how you incorporate the young people's voices yeah. into the results, if that makes yeah, sense, absolutely. into the outcomes? Yeah. Um,
1: so we do a lot, yeah, like we do a lot of engaging. That's a lot of our key work and it's mainly the other team rather than my own team, but I can, I guess, speak to it. Um, but lots of kind of what they're focusing on at the moment is um, so we're listening to those voices and then seeing, like, what is the kind of themes that are popping out here, what's important to young people, um, and then advocating to, I guess, the Ministry of Education. Um, I know we're doing a lot of work with them at the moment on some specific kind of stuff, but lots of stuff around preventing and responding to bullying, and... Um, that young people shouldn't be, um, subject to, like, unnecessary suspensions, um, Mm. they have the right to be in school, so that's quite important to us, um, and advocating for those who need support to learn to get that support, I think that's quite important, um, yeah, like I guess in terms of young women, when we were engaging with young people, we heard lots of stuff about um, uniforms in particular. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen on the news recently, there's a school in Southland that's asked um, asked young women that if they would like to wear shorts or trousers as part of their school uniform, they need to speak to a school council I did first. see that, yeah. I yeah. saw that this morning. So yeah. that, I mean, that just... Baffles me. <laughs> I
2: didn't once wear a skirt throughout my whole school career because I just—I'd never worn a skirt for yeah. my own clothing. So yeah. why would I put Suddenly on a skirt, a skirt. as a uniform? Yeah. Like it felt completely alien to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. So the school's asking them to. And and, I think the intention is so that they feel like they shouldn't—they're not going to get bullied, or they feel whatever. But I mean, it's 2020. Like, (laughs) women wear trousers. It
2: really presents the wrong kind of yeah, the wrong kind of message, doesn't it? That there's something wrong with you, or something that you need to reconsider by making that clothing choice. I know it
3: really does, and it's interesting because one of the main things that we're focusing on with this podcast is young women and their well-being, and that links. So much into that of like how, why you know why is educational institutes um, doing things that are gonna negatively impact a young woman's wellbeing by telling her how she should dress or how she should act. I know, yeah, Yeah, especially when
2: one of the things that you're gonna experience as a young woman, whatever you wear, is comments about your appearance. Yeah, yeah,
1: I agree. I just think it's so strange, and yeah, like we heard it from all all around the country. Kids were like. We just want to wear whatever we want to wear to school. Like, why are you making me wear a skirt?
3: Yeah, Yeah, and it's really interesting because when you're looking for feedback from young women and, you know, young people in general about education, the last thing that you want to be focusing on is what they're wearing. It should be, like, what they're learning and if they're learning in the correct environment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's really interesting because one of the questions I had for you is talking about um, young persons' well-being and education mm. and I wanted to ask like in your previous role as a mm. social worker at Capital Youth Support, um, how did you see like different educational environments influencing a person's well being? Mm. For example, someone who isn't a fan of the classroom and would rather be out doing things and, you know, making things with their hands or whatever, being forced to stay in a classroom and that impact yeah. on their well being.
1: Was it useful if I explained what my job was at yeah. Capital Youth Go Support? For it. Yeah, okay? Definitely. Yeah. Um so my role was specifically working with young people who weren't engaged in like educational training um, and i guess trying to help them find a way to move into something more meaningful yeah. um and obviously <laughs> that was a challenge in itself because sometimes um, education comes quite low on the priority list when you're worried about you know where you're sleeping or what you're eating or all that kind of stuff but so working through all of that to then try and get them into a space where they can think about education and their future and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to your question, um, yeah, like I, I, you know, young people just want to be accepted for who they are, I think, as individuals. Yes. And that also applies to them in the classroom. Um, and whether, you know, these massive classes with all these people is, you know, sometimes it's just not the right learning environment to for young people, um, uh, one really interesting thing that we found through my role in to Youth Support, um, we got a lot of our young people tested for dyslexia, um, mm. and almost all of them came back with a diagnosis of some kind of learning difference, whether that be dyslexia or Erlen um, Syndrome, I think is the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and these kids are, you know, 16, 17, so they've gone their whole school career not really understanding why it wasn't working for them or why they were being treated in a certain way, but for a lot of these young people finding out that, oh, I've got dyslexia, it was so, like, liberating. Like, oh, my gosh, okay, I can kind of, oh, wow, and now you can, you know, and we could work with them to try and find a way to, like, work through that and whether that's extra support or... Yeah, so that was pretty pretty fascinating, I think. Um, But, yeah, I think, like, we heard... I know at the office of the Children's Commissioner, we heard when we talked to young people that um, you know different when they were in a different learning environment, whether that be like an alternative education setting or perhaps like a course, they found it really helpful because it was focused on what they wanted to learn about. It wasn't like why do I have to learn about you know economics or something when I'm not interested in it. When they could really focus on, hey, I'm learning to be a a builder or a baker or whatever like whatever they were course they were doing Um, and so having like a real specific clear purpose I think was really useful for the young people Mm. Um, but also small class sizes as well so they had that one on one with the teacher when they needed it and they felt like they were an important member of that class rather than just one of the masses and I think that's yeah
3: Mm. yeah. I think for me um, I was one of the ones that actually liked school and liked learning and um, but it totally depends on what you're interested in so if I was in like English class then I was like I know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. I'm happy it's Mm -hmm. like good for me I know what I want to do if I'm in math class yeah. no thank you yeah like yeah. just and you you see your energy change like Absolutely. when you go into different classes and like you can only imagine what it's like for people who don't like any of the classes yeah the yeah and just want to actually get out there and do something yeah but the like looked down upon if they like drop out or like yeah. do a course or it makes them it's, it's for some reason there's a stigma that mm. they aren't successful enough
1: that's right and it's just like a total just you know, we need to shift our mindset onto what success looks like and, you know, success doesn't necessarily look like being able to sit in a classroom for six hours a day.
2: (laughs) All of that comes back to what you were saying at the very beginning about the work that you do now Mm. at the Office of the Children's Commissioner where you speak to young people and find out from them Mm. what is important in relation to education. And also talking about classroom settings, it's like kids know what they're into and they know what they need and they know what they like yeah and that's a huge thing that we should all be tapping into because that's where the answers come from right yeah absolutely there's no point
1: like all these you know 50 year old men in suits sitting around a table deciding
2: (laughs) what young people like
1: you know like ask them they know yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and like you were saying Jess about looking down on kids because they sort of want to, you know, we see it as dropping out of school, mm. but actually maybe some of them just already know what they want to do. Yeah.
3: I think it's really interesting as well for young women particularly mm. is they're more, um, I don't know, they're more expected to be staying in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have a girl that's like, I don't want to be here, I don't like classroom, like, mm. I want to drop out, and yeah. I want to do this, it's like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? Why you, why do you want to do that? Like, Yeah. Why? Yeah, and it's just such a negative impact on their well-being
1: yeah I agree I think there's definitely that perception that you know oh it's okay for a a, you know a young guy to drop out of school and be a tradie I think that's totally acceptable but if a young woman drops out then like oh you know there's that kind of what's she doing
2: yeah I think that comes back to a doubt that we have about young women being able to support themselves like maybe some kind of very old-fashioned idea that somehow stayed in that as a young woman you maybe can't just go out independently in the world and support
3: yourself. Yeah,
1: and that there's this is like key kind of jobs that as a woman, these are the jobs that you can do. And mm.
3: Yeah, definitely. And there's such a contrast as well between being in New Zealand and that being the case, whereas if you look to some third world countries overseas, women aren't even allowed to access to education, yeah. and that's like a whole different mm. scenario. Mm. Yeah.
2: And talking about people sort of finishing school earlier as well, that kind of brings me back to what you were saying when you introduced yourself Mm. and your personal journey at the beginning you know you really you stuck with it and made sure that you got into university and did really well in that Mm. respect but then found that you weren't actually enjoying what you're studying Mm. and that makes me think you know you can speak to so many adults out there in the world who have dropped out early but then they actually went back to university and studied once they really knew what they wanted to do so it's not like you have to write that off as an option altogether.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) looking back, I really wish that I had not gone to university straight after school. I wish I'd taken a year or taken however long to kind of think about who I am and, like, what do I want and who am I in the world kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then made that decision, oh, I think I want to be a social worker or whatever, and then studied that rather than, better go to uni because everyone else is mm. and the teachers say that you should go to uni yeah. yeah yeah not
3: everyone knows what they want to do yeah straight out of school I know and so many people are pressured into doing these like university degrees yeah. or like spending thousands of dollars on a degree mm. that they're not interested in mm-hmm. or they might never find a job in that might yeah. like, interest them and it's like that eventually is still going to have such a negative impact on their well-being and how happy they are if they don't take that time to work out what they want to do.
2: Mm.
1: I also think, like, in your first year of university, there's also a lot of pressure, and I could probably speak to this from my own experience, there's a lot of pressure to, I guess, stay in university and enjoy it and do well, because you are quite aware that all your peers are. And you're like, oh, gosh, when I go home for summer, you know, everyone's going to be like, yay, uni! And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not enjoying it, but... I feel like I should stay, and I think that's probably why I did stay doing the degree that I did. It was like, oh, I'd better, I better do it because I chose to do it. I mm. had to make that decision. If I could just go back and be like, girl, drop out.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I have so many friends that were like, oh, I was good at this subject in high school, yes. so I'm going to do this degree, and it's going to make me a lot of money once I graduate, mm. but I actually do not enjoy it. Yeah.
2: Having said that, though, do you think that, Studying your first degree was one of the steps you kind of needed to go through in a way to get to where you are now. Yeah,
1: I do think I do think it is. I think that, um, you know, I learned a lot about quite valuable skills in that degree, don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I suspect I wouldn't have quite managed to get to where I am now without having to, like, do all that first.
2: I remember, I don't know whether you had this experience, you guys, but I remember when I was in school, maybe from when I was... 14 15 they sort of start asking you like what you want to do next Mm -hmm. um and I found that question incredibly unhelpful because I didn't know what I wanted to do and so I sort of immediately felt like I was on the back foot you know everyone else had it figured out and I didn't have it figured out and they also made us fill in these terrible online quizzes that were meant to tell you what your occupation was going to be which just felt so like (laughs) clinical um do you think, from from the experience you've gained working as a, as a support worker and the job you do now, do you think there's a better way that we could be approaching that in schools? And I'm I'm really just throwing you under the bus. No, here. that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I do. I think that I think school should be about learning how to be in the world and how to exist and how to you know it shouldn't be necessarily about you know, as a 15-year-old, this is what your career will be, and you will do this, and then that will be your job. Yeah. Like, I don't think, you know, <laughs> what 15-year-old knows what they want to
2: do. Yeah. It's also kind of a myth now, because that isn't really even yeah, how it works. Yeah, exactly. It's anymore. almost
1: like this sort of antiquated way of thinking, because, you know, like, what research shows, at least for millennials, that we have, like, X amount of jobs mm. throughout our lives. We don't necessarily have a career. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I, I don't think I don't think it's helpful anyway to you know subject young people to quizzes on yeah. <laughs> what they what they're good at and what their therefore job should be. Yeah, yeah I, th- yeah, I don't know. I think education and school should be a place of learning about who you are and what you value and how mm-hmm. you can exist as a human in this yeah. crazy old world.
3: And It's really interesting. I worked alongside. Laura um, at of Youth Support while I was still in high school, mm. and the amount of people I talked to at school who were like, "Oh, you know, I don't enjoy what I'm doing," and then they go and talk to someone like a social worker, mm. and they're like, "Oh, it's actually okay that I don't want to do this, and I want to leave." And it's like, that's awesome that you know social workers and are giving you that support. But why isn't the schools doing that? Yeah. Like, why can't the schools be like, "Hey, this is an option, but this is also an option," mm. you know, like do what makes you happy not what everyone else is doing sort of thing mm.
1: yeah it's a kind of bigger the school's got quite a big role to play there it shouldn't be the default option shouldn't be you know find a job this is your career kind of thing yeah 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 that should be just one of many kind of options but, yeah.
2: yeah one of the things i've always found really inspiring is speaking to women who are a bit older than me, Mm. and talking about their journeys and their experiences. And I think when I look back to school, it was so impersonal in that way. You know, Mm. you have to call your teachers, like, miss and missus and sir, and they don't get to represent that really human aspect of themselves and let you see their fallibility and their mistakes and their journey. And and so... There isn't that aspect like you were saying, Jessica, yeah. about how you can really relate to people like social workers on a more human level, mm. I think yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely
1: a role for teachers to to connect on that human level, and some teachers do that fantastically, mm. but then others don't. Mm. They're very you know teacher at the front of the classroom kind of thing.
3: It's sad because the teachers also have been given this like really strict mm. curriculum and it's getting stricter and stricter of like what they need to do. like, you know, it's about who passes in their class Mm. and, you know, who gets into university in their class and so they're really pushing, you know, university and, like, passing NCEA, all three levels and all this without actually some of them connecting with the students and being like, you know what, it's okay that you don't fit this, you know, standardised Mm. education system and if you want to do this, like, I think you should sort of thing and, like, I'm lucky I had a couple of really great teachers who were, like you know you want to do this like do it like if you want to take off a year from university best thing I ever did go do it like who Mm -hmm. cares and so it's really good but when you don't have those kinds of teachers and it's very like strict and formal Mm. education setting then that's like can be a real negative impact on yourself and what you end up doing definitely
2: I've got a question for you that is one of the questions we're asking all of our guests on the podcast. So it relates back to more about um, well-being in general and not Mm. just about education. Because, you know, as the SHIFT Foundation, we think about well-being in a really holistic way, which is why we're talking about things like education. But one of the things that's always there for us is that the link between um, mental health and well-being and also physical health. Um, How important to you is your kind of being physically active and movement to your to your well-being? Mm.
1: Um, I, yeah, to me being physically active, um, it's a real blessing. I'm really grateful for my ability to be able to be physically mm. active and it is something that's quite important to me. Um, you know, I do try to go to the gym in the mornings before work, um, you know, most days and that's just a way for me to like, I don't know, get my head just get in the zone and feel like okay ready for the day kind of thing but I don't think that the gym is the be-all and end-all of <laughs> physical activity <laughs> yeah. um yeah I think I don't know for me just being in nature is like I don't know there's something about that that is so fulfilling for me and so mm-hmm. whether that's like being on a bushwalk going tramping with my friends like I really I really value that um, yeah I also I don't know there's something about being outside and I feel really lucky that I work somewhere and I live somewhere where I'm quite close to the sea Mm. um you know because even just being able to be in that kind of the presence of the sea and
3: the fresh air air,
1: yeah there's something about that that I feel is I don't know yeah really fulfilling and it just feels good for my like mental health I suppose yeah but
2: yeah it takes you out of yourself, doesn't it, when you yeah. go outdoors and yeah. really engage with the environment that's around
1: you. Exactly, and it's kind of the only thing that's there in that moment. There's not all this other stuff that you've got going on. Or, yeah. Yeah, it's nice.
3: Do you think it's important that that gets incorporated into like education as well, like being able to go outside and not just be sitting in a classroom all day?
1: Yeah. Um, I think in the um, United Nations, the rights of the child, one of their rights is to play.
3: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Brownie points for just throwing
3: thank you. That was very
1: smooth. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, one of one of our rights is to play, and I do think um, that is really important. Like you, like I said totally. before, you can't sit in the classroom all day. You do need to get outside and you need to move. And lots of kids, have lots of energy that needs to be, you know, expe- expelled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And
2: it's, can't... it's not just about like learning in the classroom and then. Energy outside. It's like we can learn through movement and through yeah. getting outdoors. Yeah. Totally, yeah.
1: There's a lot to learn, and even like in our like you know Aotearoa, the setting that we live in is so we're driven like by outdoor activity, and I think it's important that you know we grow up with that as well.
3: Yeah. So one of our um, other questions that we're asking everyone, but kind of personalised as well, is um, just you know your your action plan. Mm. Um, so. The question I have for you is, like, what's your advice to young women struggling to find acceptance or staying focused within the confinements of standardised education?
1: Mm. Um, my advice for young women is to stick it to the man. I don't know if it's, like, <laughs> appropriate for this podcast. But, like, I don't know. Feel I, I want young women to feel confident enough that they can do or feel however they want to feel and are able to express that. Um, And so whether that is in that kind of, you know, oh, this school isn't for me, or whatever it is, being able to feel comfortable to do something about that, but also be accepted for it. So it's almost like I need, like, a society shift as well. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that everyone can just do what they want to do and learn the way that they need to learn and what works for them. I think it's really important. But, yeah, just young women just, I don't know, I feel like we should just stand up for our, our own well-being and our rights and, I don't know, you know. Wear trousers to school. Wear trousers to school <laughs> and don't see a counsellor about it because you don't need to. Yeah. Because <laughs> I bet you wear trousers on the weekend and it's no big problem.
3: Yeah, Do <laughs> you think things are improving?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. I definitely think things are improving. Like, even from my time at school now, Sorry, my climate school to <laughs> to talking to young people now. I'm like, oh, there's been some huge shifts in yeah. the way our educa- education system works. But I do think there's still quite a long way to go mm. for young people to feel accepted yeah. in school.
2: Yeah, which is why you're doing the mahi that you're doing. Yay! Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well,
3: That's- thank you so much for being a guest on Green Come On. You've had definitely some great insight into everything. And it's a privilege to know you and <laughs> just have worked alongside you. And yeah, you've been a very awesome guest. We've loved having you.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been amazing to be a part of this. I truly believe wholeheartedly in everything that Shift does. So I would obviously have jumped at the opportunity regardless of whether it was you, but because it was you, I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> <Good to> know.
2: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> thank, you. thank you.
3: The Conversation Collective.
2: All right. I love that conversation.
3: Uh, me too. It was so fun. It was such a good, like, easy-flowing conversation. Laura was just so amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's great. We have so much love for her, hey?
3: Yeah, so much good energy in that room that day.
2: I think the thing that really stood out for me from that conversation was when we, when we talked about the work that Laura's doing now and about how important um, just speaking to young people and hearing their opinions and, and including Youth Voice yeah it's a huge part of the work that um happens at the office of the children's commissioner, and I just think it's something that you know that every organization, even if they don't work directly with young people, that every organization should be should be trying to do that more
3: I agree like it's so important that young people get to have a say because it shouldn't just be you know like we said um the stereotypical white middle aged male sitting around a table making decisions about people that they have no idea what's going on in their lives.
2: Yeah, and I think we're I think we're moving in a really positive direction when it comes to um, including a wider range of voices in decision making. But I think too often young people are left out of that decision making process. So, yeah, what was it about the conversation that really stands out for you, Jess?
3: Um, my highlight, definitely, the conversation that we had about standardised education and how it's really not. That one size fits all um and how we really need to look into try not to expect all young people to just fit into this box of education and you know maths, English science. you should be able to do it all pass it all when there's so many people in like that just can't do that and would be much happier and much more successful in their own well being if they were outside of a classroom and doing practical work and um apprenticeships and that kind of thing and we can't um we need to shift the societal norm that the, the only way you can be successful is by going to university and getting a degree and doing all this like you know staying in the education system as long as you can yeah so I think that was a really important conversation that really needed to be had
2: yeah and Laura sums that up really nicely right at the end of the interview there where she says she just wants young women to feel confident to do what they want to do and to be who they want to be and to be accepted for that. Um, Yeah. I think that pretty much summarises everything really, hey?
3: It really does, yeah. Yeah.
2: So our next guest is really exciting. Um, Tell us about who you went and interviewed as our second guest.
3: Yeah, so our next guest is Paula Tesorero. She is currently um, the New Zealand Disability Rights Commissioner and she's just such an awesome person to talk to. She really understood every like angle that I was coming from. And just, we had a great chat just talking about education. And um, like I said at the start of this podcast uh, episode, talking about how it needs to be more inclusive, especially for disabled young people. And um, just how, yeah, how that inclusivity can be put into society and how, um, yeah, it can all work so that everyone has access to education. And yeah, she was just really, really good to talk to. And she had so many ideas and she's working on so many things at the moment that I just think are gonna be so great um, for us, for our young people. She made some really amazing points as well about why
2: not being included can have a really negative impact on your well-being. But I will let you and Paula take it away. Sounds good.
0: The Conversation
3: Collective. So, on our podcast today, we have Paula Tesserero, who is currently New Zealand's Disability Rights Commissioner. Paula is also a world renowned Paralympian and was a gold medal winner at the 2008 Beijing Summer Paralympic. In the past, Paula has also served on multiple sports and disability boards. Paula, thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
3: All right, well, we'll get right into our first question. So you are an incredible role model for so many young women today. Um, in a previous interview, you said you didn't want anything to do with disability because you thought that was the way for you to succeed. Can you share with us a bit about your own journey as a young woman coming to accept this part of yourself and claiming your identity as a disabled woman?
0: Sure. So, when I when I was growing up, I I didn't see a lot of visible disability around me and it wasn't something which was often talked about and I didn't have any role models growing up who were disabled. And I made an assumption that the way to succeed in life was to not identify as being disabled. And looking back, I think the reason that I made that decision was because of the stigma and some of the attitudes that were around about disability. And I look back now and think what a real shame that was. Um, and I think that you know, disabled people go on their own individual journeys, and at different times will will identify in a particular way. And it was really through sport actually, that I realized the importance of identifying as a disabled person and how much more authentic that made me. So when I thought about becoming an athlete and um, becoming a Paralympic athlete, it was very clear that it would be obvious to other people, um, particularly as I started to succeed on the bike, that I was disabled And so going through that identification process and and sort of being being outed in a way as a disabled person was, you know, um, was a bit of a struggle at first, but actually it enabled me to succeed in life in a much freer and more authentic way. Yeah, I think it's really interesting
3: how um, we've come so far, even in such a short amount of time, with there being... I think with social media as well, with there being so many more role models in the disabled community as well. And so my main topic for today is around the education system. And so I wanted to ask you, when it comes to education, what do you think are the effects on young people's wellbeing if they do not feel included in or cannot fully access school and education, especially with disabled people?
0: I think it's a great topic and I think that the education system in our schools are a real microcosm if you like of broader society and so how we role model and how we integrate young or young people but in this case young disabled people into classrooms is actually really critical because if disabled children are not welcomed in their classroom then I think it, it can affect number of things firstly the way in which that individual's identity is shaped and you know just talking about my own story i think that actually having the freedom having the support around you around you to um shape your identity is really important i think it really uh, can affect the person's sense of well-being and a sense of belonging you know belonging and being part of something yeah really important and really important to young people who are trying to shape their place in the world i think it's important too that um you know if you're not included i think potentially it affects your own aspirations and what you're you know if, if other people around you don't include you then people may feel that they shouldn't therefore have high aspirations in themselves i think it possibly also affects people's educational outcomes, you know, if they're not included well in a classroom, and that's every aspect of the classroom, you know, right through what happens in the in the teaching parts of the curriculum, right through to what happens on uh, at school camp and the sports field, yeah. then I think, you know, it, it affects um, what what a person can achieve. And I think also and. This is probably something that you haven't directly asked, but I think it not only impacts the individual who might not be included, but what does it say to the rest of the kids in our classrooms? That's true. A young person is seen to be excluded, and given so much about disability starts in the school in terms of you know getting society to understand about disability. Then we've got a real you know, real risk if we don't include young people, that other young people think that's how, how the world should be when we know it isn't.
3: Exactly, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just diverging off topic a little bit, but I wanted to ask, did you think that um, when it comes to being included in the education system, whether there's a difference with how people with say physical disability versus people with learning disabilities or mental disabilities are included?
0: I think it varies, but certainly some of the outcomes for people with learning disabilities are not what they need to be and that yeah translates to other outcomes in life. So health outcomes, for example. Uh, certainly when principals and boards of trustees talk to me, uh, you know, Many of the problems or, or issues that they describe as problems um, are behaviours which may be manifested um, from a person with a, a learning disability. Um, but but actually, you know, schools also talk about some of the real problems and delays and things in getting physical infrastructure set up. So some of the the um, barriers that physically disabled people face. So, look, I think it, it, it can vary, but certainly I think it's fair to say that, you know, the, the outcomes achieved in our education system for young people with learning disabilities, and I'm including in that, um, you know, autism, um, ADHD, I'm including fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and many more, I think, yeah, those young people um, face enormous barriers in our
3: education Yeah, that's what I was thinking and why I wanted to discuss both spectrums of that as well. Um, So we're talking a lot about what's currently happening in the education system, but I wanted to know your thoughts on the recent education reforms taking place in Aotearoa and what changes do you hope to see for young people with disabilities in the education system?
0: So this is a topic that I'm really hot on, it's really passionate. Uh, to me, that we make a real difference in this area. So our education system at the moment is not as inclusive as it needs to be. And it's been borne out in a range of reviews, including the uh, review last year with the tomorrow's schools um, set up and and accountability um, structures. And, you know, disabled young people and their families have spent decades really, you know, fighting for an inclusive education system. The government, as you said, is reviewing our education system. And the reforms that are taking place cover almost every aspect of our education system. And I have a a degree of confidence that in the long term, we will work towards achieving an inclusive education system. What I'm really worried about is sort of the next five to seven years, while those reforms are shaping up and by the time it takes to implement them. I worry that the next five to seven years, which is another generation of young people, yeah. that we might not get it right for in New Zealand. And to me, that's unacceptable. So I really hope to see an education system where every young disabled child is welcomed into the classroom. I'd love to see an enforcement to Inclusive education set out in legislation, and that would mean that it was a requirement for all schools to deliver that inclusive education um, for young people. So, this is a topic I could talk all afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> we need to do so much better in in yeah. education.
3: Yeah, and um, so is there anything like? specifically at the moment that you're really trying to focus on around that or mainly just what
0: we can do in the meantime i guess so i'm involved in a number of things Um, firstly the government has put out a number of consultation documents uh, ranging from changes in early childhood education the review of tomorrow's schools Um, there's been proposed changes to the way vocational training Um, There's been consultation on a new learning support plan, which is primarily for disabled um, uh, children to get better support. There was a consultation document on the reform of tomorrow's schools, which is the the structure, if you like, and and, the role of boards of trustees, and the role of the Ministry of Education and others in the education sector. Um, and then, just very recently, in fact, a week ago, we made a submission on education and training bill. And so, what we've done in all of those documents is really tried to make the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities um, real here in our education. Yes. Yeah.
3: yeah, that's. I think that's really great work that you and your team are doing. Obviously. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, obviously, sport has been a massive part of your life, um, and so I want to talk about that in education. Uh, I know for me, I have a form of dwarfism, and when I was in primary school and high school, PE, you know, was a compulsory part of education for the most part, and, um, I had some teachers who were great, and some teachers who were like, oh, is it going to be easier for you to just sit out for this one, you know, like. And, I, and the nice way of saying I can't be bothered trying to work around what's going to work for you, I think. And so I wanted to ask you, like, how important is it in your view for everyone to have equal access to physical activity in school?
0: Oh, so, uh, look, I think that the right to access sport and recreation is so fundamentally important. And... You know, if I sort of start at the the top level, um, it's one of the rights which is enshrined in the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, because it's it's recognised as such a a fundamental part of being a citizen and being able to enjoy a good quality of life. And I think you know, if we want to make all the benefits of sport universally acceptable, then it has to be acceptable for disabled people. So. I think, you know, there are really universal benefits of sport. So there's learning to work with others, having healthy lifestyles. I think sport encourages kids to take risks and gives leadership opportunities and I think can contribute to better educational outcomes. And those are all equally vital um, to disabled people. But I think there are some added benefits for us. And, you know, that's based on my own experience of growing up. As a disabled New Zealander, so I think sport has the ability to change perceptions around disability. So it focuses on what we can do rather than, than what we can't. I think it helps with social cohesion in classrooms. So, you know, when non disabled kids see what disabled kids can do and, and are just treated as part of the fabric of the school community, then I think that that is really powerful in shaping the mind of young people. And I think that it gives disabled kids, like all kids, self-confidence, but it creates choice. So it's not about the young person uh, who is disabled only being able to sit on the side of the sports field and watch, you know, it it allows disabled kids to be part of the team, and that's so important for a sense of wellbeing and belonging. So I I think that equal access to school uh, for all children is just
3: vital yeah and we have such a great like backyard in our country that it's just so easy to do as well <laughs> absolutely and um, so we're moving on to our last couple of questions and these questions are feature questions so we're asking these to every one of our guests on this podcast and yep. um, so firstly, uh, as you may know, Shift uh, likes to view young women's well-being in a holistic way. So looking at, you know, everything that impacts them, but we do take a massive um, interest in physical activity. So I wanted to ask for you personally, how important is being active to you and how does this relate to your general
0: well-being and fulfilment? So for me, um, even though I don't compete on the bike anymore, I still ride a bike. And you know, when I've had a, a day at work where things haven't gone according to plan, or um, you know, or I'm trying to really think through sort of something quite complex, I find that riding my bike just you know, helps de stress me, it really gives me a sense of, of greater well being. I think it keeps me fit healthy, which contributes to broader well being, and you know, I think it helps me be a better mum, you know, if I'm fit and healthy and I get to be something I love, then, then I think I'm a, I'm a better mum, I'm a better wife, I'm a better friend, and I'm certainly better at my job when I'm able to take that, that time out to do something which is important um, to me. And I believe very firmly that the power of sport can really change lives and change for everyone but but in this case important for disabled people.
3: Yeah Um, and our last question is kind of like Paula Tesorero's take action plan. So what's your advice for anyone out there who wants to improve access to education and physical activity for young women living with disabilities?
0: So I think we all need to make a lot more noise about things and you know the ability to, um, um, you know, break down the number of barriers that can exist. So um, even watching sport, let alone participating in sport, um, is is really important. So my take action plan would be to uh, encourage far more disabled women to be involved in sport. Um, I'd encourage. Uh, people to join a club and sort of find friends and enjoy some of the sport. I think it's really important that as many people as possible um, advocate at local government level as well as central government. So, you know, local government control things like our parks and playgrounds, and you know, it's really important at the very early stages of life that young children have access. Um, playgrounds and, you know, that helps create a sense of um, fairness and, you know, enables non-disabled kids to see that disabled kids are just part of, part of our world, part of our community. Yeah. And on the education front, I really think that as many disabled people in their families as possible, I really urge young disabled people to be part of the debate about education and to be really pushing hard for inclusive education because it really saddens me that 35% of young disabled people are not engaged in education, employment, or training. And that flows through to, you know, the fact that there's twice the unemployment rate for disabled people as non-disabled people. And it leads to another, you know, to a long list of um, outcomes for disabled people that we really need to change in New Zealand. I think that all all, all power to us, really, and that the more people who echo these messages, um, the better.
3: Well, I love the work that you and your whole team behind you is doing. I think you're amazing. And I just want to say a big thank you for being part of um, this podcast episode. And I hope that people really take away what you were saying and that we start to see more people, you know, playing the advocacy role and more changes being made. Um, so thank you. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. See you later.
0: The Conversation Collective.
2: Wow, Jess.
3: Yeah, it was such an eye-opening conversation. It was so amazing to be able to talk to someone that's really out there doing that mahi and really trying to actually make change at a governmental level and... Um, try and, you know, help young disabled people get all that inclusive access to education.
2: Yeah. And so amazing as well to hear, um, to hear from someone who's competed at such a high level. I mean, at the Paralympics for cycling for New Zealand and the fact that she speaks about how even though she doesn't compete anymore, she doesn't race anymore, just getting on her bike is still something that's so essential to, you know the core of her being, really, and um, and to her well-being. So, yeah, it's just really, really inspiring conversation to listen to.
0: Yeah, it was.
2: Um, there was something that you guys touched on a little bit there, but it wasn't probably the biggest part of your conversation, which is um, the differences in access and inclusivity when it comes to people who have physical disabilities versus people who have um, learning disabilities.
3: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how um, we did, we talked so much about physical disabilities and how that affects access to education, you know, in literal senses as of, like, there being stairs and people in wheelchairs not being able to even enter the building. And I feel like we really, when we were talking, and I was thinking in the back of my head, like, we are only really talking about this access to education for physically disabled people and this podcast episode is meant to be about inclusivity for all. Mm. And so I really wanted to bring up like, you know, people with those learning disabilities, um, such as autism or ADHD um, or dyslexia, like I think they're really important to touch on as well because there's so much that they have to deal with on a daily basis in in the classroom um that just isn't really talked about and kind of just is behind closed doors and in you know, disabled people as a whole are already um, dealing with oppression and then to further that, it's only really physically disabled people who are even sometimes brought into the conversation. Mm. And so I think it's really important to talk about it and um, I hope that in the future those with um, learning disabilities are brought to the table more and do get to have their say on what about education and society as a whole needs changing to better include them.
2: Yeah. I mean, you and Paula both speak from a point of view that where you can relate more to, um, to having a physical disability, of course. And I think when it comes to the general public, maybe it comes down to the fact that physical disabilities are actually visible. Yeah. You know, sometimes they might be hidden, but, you know, you can, as you say, you can see if someone can't access a building because they can't get upstairs or something like that but what was almost a little bit heartbreaking to hear was Paula said about how um, when young people and children are struggling with a learning disability it might often be presented as an issue by the school or by the board or by the teachers it's kind of, it, it kind of it expresses itself often maybe as a what's seen as a behavioral issue yeah exactly. and I do think you're right like there, there really needs to be a shift in how we perceive that and how we think about that.
3: Yeah, for sure. I agree
2: 100%. The thing that really struck me as well from this conversation was Paula talked about all the different ways that she thinks somebody's well-being could be affected when they're not properly included in education. And, you know, one of the obvious ones is that your education outcomes and, um, you know, chances of employment might be affected. But there were so many others that I think a lot of people wouldn't think about for example how your identity is being shaped um, your sense of belonging as part of the community and also your sense of what you can achieve and what you can aspire to and she also said and I think this is really poignant and really important is that if other young people see that young people with disabilities are not being included that almost kind of sets a tone of like this is okay and this is how this is how it is um yeah so yeah there's there's so much to unpack and think about there
3: yeah I agree and I think um even when she was speaking about all those impacts on well-being like a few of them I totally resonated with but others I didn't even think of and it shows like she really gets out into the community and really finds out what the issues are and what is negatively impacting on someone with physical or mental disability, um, in education and not even just in education, but in every aspect of their life. And, um, yeah, and I think it was really interesting hearing what those impacts were and how we can address those and try and shift the way that we think.
2: Yeah. You also spoke briefly, Jess, about the fact that, um, it wasn't always easy for you to be included in, in physical education at school. Um, and we and we asked both of our guests on this podcast, you know, is movement, is activity important to them and their well-being? Can you tell us a little bit about what role that has for you now, now that you're out of school?
3: Yeah, so um, because I guess I was, you know, kind of told, uh, maybe you should just sit on the bench for this one, like probably too hard don't you know and I think now they look back on it I'm like okay was that a way for the teachers to not have to do that extra planning for that one person in class that couldn't I don't know reach the basketball hoop or whatever and um, I think that because that happened to me it was a negative impact on my well-being but also had a negative impact on how I think about um, exercise in general and like so then I always dreaded going to PA so then I always dreaded anything that had to do with sport or moving or anything like that like no interest in going for a run or anything like that because I was just told no you sh- couldn't do it and so um, I think that now that I'm out of that high school system I definitely try and um, do more for myself doing like physiotherapy and going on walks and stuff just to really keep that Um, movement up and try and regain some you know independence and some inclusivity into the world of exercise um even though it is always thought of as being for you know fit active able bodied people um so yeah so I definitely think that alongside that I do other things to um help my you know have a positive impact on my well-being like spending time with my friends and my family and um, I like to have really positive interactions with people. Um, I like to be able to give, you know, give myself to helping people and doing um, some volunteering and stuff like that. I think that all just really helps my well-being. and it doesn't as much as exercise is really important for your well-being. You have to look at every aspect of what everything in your life is doing to contribute to your well-being.
2: Yeah. And I think so much of what you've just said is actually a conversation about confidence, in a way. And um, yeah. and if you're creating really strong connections with friends and family, and if you have vibrancy in your life by giving your time to other people, then all of those things build your confidence and just improve, yeah, your overall sense of well being and what you can imagine that you can do.
3: Yeah, totally.
2: Jess, this has just been awesome. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you. It's been such an awesome experience being able to talk to um, both those guests and just learning so much more um, than I went into the podcast episode expecting to learn. And, yeah, it's just been so awesome. And I've just enjoyed every minute of making this episode. And I can't wait for everyone to hear it and give their feedback and really take away from it as well.
2: Amazing. And we are so grateful to you for sharing you know, your personal insights and your own journey as well. It's been really amazing to hear about your own experiences.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's been, I definitely felt that I couldn't go into this episode and not mention how it really personally um, was linked to me as well because I felt that that really, I was asking my guests to open up and I wasn't opening up myself. and I felt like that was really important to have that natural flowing conversation and yeah, I just hope that, anyone else out there that might need to can take away lessons from this and hopefully just yeah really stand up for themselves and what they believe in and get that access to education and anything else in their lives that they're struggling with
2: beautiful you are such an inspiration So we have to say thank you so much to everyone for tuning in today. Um, Make sure you keep moving, make sure you keep advocating for inclusive education. Um, You can listen back to these interviews anytime and try to take on the challenge of our guests, take action plans to improve the society around us for for everyone really. Um, So yeah, stay shifty. Thanks Jess. Thank you. this podcast has been made possible with the empower women through sport follow on grant from the center for sport peace and society at the university of tennessee we would also like to stay a huge shout out to nine eye clubhouse in lower hut we have loved hanging out with you guys every week working on this project and we have learned so much from you so thank you
0: the conversation collective